Wow. So are you ready to hear from the Lord? How many brought their catcher's mitts? You got catcher's mitts. You, you say, I'm eager. I want to hear from the Lord. Pastor Michael is one of my favorite preachers. He's a prophetic preacher. He doesn't just preach old sermons. He's looking for something fresh for us, and I'm grateful for that. He's been a real friend of mine, Heather's, and uh, of our church. And at different times, God's used him to be a, a tremendous blessing to us as a church, even though you're not always aware of it. We, we are aware of it. So uh, Michael's been a pastor of a church, uh, Elam Gospel uh, Tabernacle over in Lima, but currently is serving as the president of Elam Bible School. If you're looking to go to Bible school at some point in time, you don't have to go to the ends of the earth. There's a really good one an hour from here. And we could even work it out so your outstation is here and you can come and be here on Sundays and, and uh, contribute whatever you're learning there here. So, But uh, we'd like to see you do that at some point in time. Pastor Michael, come on up. Have your liberty. Thank you. Have fun. Thanks. Okay, I'll go for it. Hey, good to see everybody. Um, Well, this is a, a tremendous uh, season of change, isn't it, right now? Uh, I wasn't able to be here um, for your uh, dedication, I guess it was last week, wasn't it? And I wasn't able to be here for that. And when I wasn't able to be, I sent a note to Pastor and I said, oh, man, I'm really sorry. I said, invite me down sometime. I want to be able to be there and uh, see, see the building and see everything that's happening. And, and he invited me today. So I'm really excited to be here with you. Change, you know. If I, was to, if I was to say to any of you here, how many of you want the new wine of God? You would all be like, hallelujah, yes, give me the anointing, yes, I want the new wine, you know. But the new wine comes with a price tag. And the price tag of the new wine is changed wineskins. You have to have a different wineskin to get new wine. You can't get it with the old wineskin. There has to be a change that takes place. And uh, I've handed out a little note-taking guide. This will really help you to follow along with me today. If you didn't get one, just lift your hand up. The ushers will help you make sure you do get one. Um, uh, but uh, look at that, would you, together, and we'll, we'll, just, uh, we'll, we'll just talk about this wine. So it says, in, it says in your notes, it says this. It says, new wine equals a fresh work of the spirit. Fresh wineskins are unfamiliar methods and approaches that we have no record of success with. So a new wine is the fresh work of the spirit, but fresh wineskins include things like, for example, this building. Right? It's a new wineskin. It's a new, it, it requires some adjustment, it requires some change. And that's just the way it is. Fresh wineskins are unfamiliar methods and approaches that we have no record of success with. Old wine equals the familiar work of the spirit. You know, we, we, you know we're good. Old wineskins equal familiar methods and approaches that have worked successfully for us in the past. Uh, as I've come here and prepared myself for this week, the thing I felt like the Lord was calling me to challenge you about is this whole idea of, um, of turning from the familiar to embrace the new thing, the fresh thing that God is wanting to do. And it sounds like it should be easy, but it's way harder 
because there, there's a demand that has to take place. Now, pastor hasn't talked to me about any of the things that I'm saying right now, so if I, if I step into some bomb, you know, some, some, some mind that's in here that, you know, I don't know about, don't you, don't think he said anything. I just, can, I just have come in, and this is what I felt the Lord wanted me to challenge you about. Look at Luke chapter 5, looking at verse 37, he says this, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, this is, this is interesting because it kind of it goes back and he says, new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. But then he says something, he says, and no one after drinking old wine wishes for new, for he says, the old is good enough. The old. What he's talking about here is, is that there's this gravity in our souls, this pull, right? Gravity is like a pull. There's this gravity in our souls, and this gravity inside every one of us here pulls us toward the old and the familiar. There is something inside that just pulls us we don't want things to be different. We don't want things to change. We don't want things to be new. We don't want to have to learn about new ways or new approaches or new. The, if you give me the old wine, I say to you, the old wine is good enough. It got us here, glory to God, right? The old wine is good enough, right? That's, see, there's this thing inside of us, every one of us, that wants the familiar, wants the thing in that way. In your notes, it says this. Jesus is saying that a fresh work of the Spirit demands new methods and non-familiar approaches to ministry. That's, it, that's what it takes to see something fresh happen. It takes something new to be going on. Um, there are all kinds of new things that happen, new changes, you know, but, but, but you, can't, you can't keep everything the same and experience the fresh thing that is going to happen. He's also saying that the familiar always trumps the new in our hearts. That, that phrase trumps, I don't know if you play cards at all, but when something trumps, if you have something that's like trumps, it means that when that card gets put down, it, it, it always can take whatever is happening in that thing. It takes control of what's going on. And, and, and he's saying, he's saying, look, the familiar always trumps the new in our hearts. He's saying, uh, man says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, for most of us, the price tag for new wine, it is I have to replace my familiar methods and approaches, and I would rather keep the old. The old is good enough. That's what human nature says. Now, in your notes, it says, no church or person is excluded from participation in the fresh work of God's Spirit unless they refuse the pain of change. You have to embrace, uh, uh, um, you have to, to, to take, receive the pain of change. Uh, when we had a little prayer time earlier in the service, I was with uh, two couples. Both of them had been married relatively recently. Both of them were involved in um, new, uh, new houses, new, you know, kind of a thing. Have you ever think how, you know, especially in a, 
in family life sometimes, change comes in a really compressed period of time. It can really happen. Like uh, I just looked the other day at um, my son Todd. Uh, we, I looked at a picture when Todd and his fiance, they were not even married yet, Todd and his fiance were, came up to camp with us and we all camped together. You know, what, what a nice weekend we had. It was really beautiful. Uh, that was like uh, eight years ago. Eight years ago. Today, Todd has five children in that eight years. Let me tell you, it's a different world at Todd's house. As a matter of fact, this last summer, they, they, we went up to camp again. My wife and I went up to, we camp out on this little point up at Wellesley Island up in New York. And, and Todd said, oh, we're going to come up, we're going to come up. I said, you are. And, and they came up and got a hotel, you know, first of all. Five kids trailing around with them and anything they were. I mean, it was, it was a new world. That was change, right? It was change. There is, unless, he says, no church or person is excluded from participation in the fresh work of God's spirit unless they refuse the pain of change. We want new wine but we don't want to go through what's required to work in us that we can embrace the new wine. We want, to, we want the new wine the old way. Or better yet, just give, keep the old wine. Nothing has to change. We just want it to stay the way it is. Please, don't, don't, don't make anything different. So in your notes, I put down five barriers to embracing change, okay? So let's look at these together. Five barriers to embracing change. Maybe you, you know, uh, some of these are touching you. I, see, I look around the room, I see a lot of younger lives, and you may think that young people don't have a problem embracing change. Let me tell you, it is not the case. Everybody, everybody struggles with change. And uh, so five barriers to embracing change. Number one is this, the barrier of thinking that if we resist change, it will be stopped. See, this is one, this is a lie that you can get into your mind. The idea being that I don't like where things are going, so I'm just gonna kind of put up a little barrier here, and I'm gonna resist the change. And if I resist the change, it will keep it will no longer happen. I'll I'll stop this thing from happening by resisting this. This can happen in your marriages, it can happen. I'm gonna stop change from happening by resisting this change. Um, uh, my little town actually is a great illustration of the poverty of this idea. Uh, Lima, New York. Lima, New York, it was uh, maybe 10 years ago, Lima, New York, um, Walmart came to Lima and said, we are interested in putting just a little north of town, we're going to put a Walmart up just a little north of town in Lima, New York. And the town went ballistic. We don't want a Walmart. We love our rural community. We, you know, they, they had marches. They had signs up. They had, I mean, it just went crazy to resist the idea of Walmart coming to Lima. You know, if Walmart comes to Lima, the bank will close. If Walmart comes to Lima, the grocery store will close. If Walmart comes to Lima, the, you know, the, the, the restaurant will close. And, and it was just, you know, all, it, every, it, was like, it was like the apocalypse. If Walmart comes, it is like we're going to become Geneseo, you know what I mean? That's the, that was like the ultimate swear word, you know, that was, that was around town. If Walmart, we're going to, it's, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible. And so they had this tremendous resistance and it was, it was back when the economy was kind of teetering a little anyway, right at that point. And so Walmart just said, fine, if you don't want a Walmart, 
we, we won't have one. So the Walmart left. Let me tell you what else left, Lima. The bank closed. The grocery store disappeared. The restaurant closed. Are you with me? They thought they could stop change by stopping Walmart. You with me? We'll keep this from happening. But change wasn't stopping. Change was coming, whether we embraced a Walmart or didn't embrace a Walmart. Change was coming to Lima. Are you with me? Folks, change is coming. You, you cannot resist. There's no point in resisting it. Change is coming. It's just, it's, the, it's an inevitable part of life. And uh, you've got to ask God to give you the grace that you can embrace the new wineskin, the new thing, the fresh thing that the Lord is wanting to do in the situation. So, so the first barrier, the barrier of thinking that if we resist change, it will be stopped. You know, that's just not going to happen. Let me get, look at the second barrier to change. The barrier of seeing my preferences as spiritual. Okay? Uh, Luke uh, uh, 5, he says there, And no one after drinking old wine wishes for the new, for he says the old is good enough. Now listen, what can happen is you can begin to think of your preferences the way you like it is actually the way God likes it. That my way of doing it is the more spiritual way. And my preferences, my preferences of the way I like things, church to happen, the way I like God to move, the way I like things to happen, my preferences are the more spiritual preferences, and the way other people think about things is a little off, okay? And uh, in your notes it says this, people who are defending their comfort can get mean and have a tendency to see their preferences as spiritual. So people who are defending, if you're defending the way you like it, first of all, you baptize it and say it's God's way. This is the way, this is the anointed way right here. It's the way I like it, so it's got to be the anointed way. And, but, the, but, but the second thing is that when people do that, they can get downright mean about any change that takes place. Uh, I think of my time as a pastor. For example, there was one time, uh, when I sat down, our church was thriving, it was, you know, doing fantastic. But as I looked at it, I could see there were some things on the horizon that were going to be a problem. One of them is that I looked at my staff, and all of my staff was uh, 50 years old or older. Right? It wasn't that way when I started. I started pastoring the church when I was 34. But over time, everybody kind of grew old together. And all my staff was over, over 50 years old. And I said, this isn't going to work out. We've got to make some adjustments. So we started making some changes in our staffing. And um, people started saying things like, this church is all about young people now. There's no place for me anymore. And they started getting kind of mean about the cha staff changes that were taking place. Um, there was another point in the church where we were trying to come up with more creative ways to reach out and connect with people. And, and so we, 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 we decided that we were going to start to use some drama in the services and do some, you know, like little skits and plays and things like that to kind of capture people's interest. And when that happened, people would say things, I like simple worship. Everything seems like a performance around here. And they looked at the changes we were making and tried to 
tried to make it, you know, this is evil, this is not spiritual, because if it was spiritual, it would be the way it was when I, you know, you know started at church. That was, that was when God was really moving, hallelujah. See, and, and people get that kind of thinking going in. I can remember, um, uh, I can remember when our church came to a place where we said, you know what? Uh, a lot of our young couples, a lot of kids, and things like this, and we're gonna make a we're gonna make a little change here from the way we've been doing things. We're gonna allow people, if they would like, for the, to go their children to go into children's church and things like that. They can do it right from the beginning of the service if they would like. They don't have to, but if they would like, and they don't have to necessarily bring their children to the service. Uh, it could be something that was more designed for the kids, and immediately. There was a reaction. Our church doesn't want families to be together anymore. The church is against family unity. See? And, uh, and uh, because we wanted to let people have a choice if they wanted to have their kids in the children's program from the beginning or not, right? Um, uh, I, I can remember when uh, we were making, we had multiple services that were going on, and we decided to make one of the services one hour long. And people, people said, they're quenching the spirit. They're, they're just killing the move of the spirit, trying to make it one hour long. That is just absolutely evil. It's wrong. See? And what am I telling you? What am I saying is there is this thing See, that happens when you, when you are dealing with change, that people have a tendency to see their preferences. And you always have to understand the difference between what are, is my preference and what is clearly a biblical mandate or imperative, right? There's a lot of room. The, the Lord designed the church so that it could function in all cultures, in all places, in all circumstances, in all situations. And to do that, he had to leave a lot of room for things to be done in different ways to meet the needs of different peoples at different times, in different places, in different circumstances, in situations. So he left, when it came to church, he kind of left some room there. There are certain key principles, but he left some room there for methods and approaches to be adjustable for the times and the circumstances and the situations that people were uh, working in. And so, uh, you know, this, this tendency to think that my way is God's way can be a, a real problem. Um, in your notes, I put this down. I said, the truth is the ins will have to adjust their comfort to reach the outs. Okay, what do I mean by that? Is that in the ins, right now this church has a certain kind of group of ins. If you as ins want to make room for people who are outs, right, that are not here this morning, the ins have to adjust to make room for outs. And we don't like that. We'd like it if the old stayed pretty much the way things were. We don't want to adjust, right? But that's the way it is. The dominant group will have to adjust to reach the minority group. What do I mean? Whites will have to adjust to reach blacks. Rich will have to adjust to reach the poor. The rural will have to adjust to reach the urban. The baby boomers have to adjust to make room for 30-somethings. It is the way 
you know, it's the way it is. And I've seen some churches go through what I, I might refer to as worship wars, right? Where even the style of music became certain styles were spiritual and certain styles were not spiritual, right? And, uh, and, and, and you'd have worship wars where people would be like, oh, you know, I don't want that. Well, you know, why do they do that? You know, they have lights in here. What is that about? Really, lights like that. I mean, we should just, isn't God's light enough, you know? You, you know and, and people, get in, people get into all kinds of weird thinking that takes place. I remember uh, years ago, we were going through, different seasons just require different things. We were at a certain season in our church, and I was older. I mean, I was in my 50s at that time. And, uh, but we started making some changes to, to the church because the, everything had been, was changing in a lot of different ways. So we started opening up for media. We had, you know, these huge projection screens and we had lights, you know, and then the, the band started running a little smoke and pretty soon there were lights and lasers and smoke going on and worship happening, you know. And well, you can imagine, you know, uh, people came to me People came to me and they said, Pastor, what is going on in the church? The thing is like, it's like going to a rock concert at that church. You know, what is happening? And I looked at them and I would say, I would say, I really don't like it. And they would go, you don't like it? And I'd say, no, I really don't like it. And they would go, well, what are we doing it for then? If you don't like it, we shouldn't be doing it. I said, well, I'll tell you what the deal is. I said, I've come to a place in my life where I kind of feel like I pretty much know where I'm headed. I know what's going on. I know what's happening. I said, but there's a whole lot of young people out there that they don't have it yet. I said, I look at every one of those kids like they're my kids or they're like they're my, I look at the little kids like they're my grandchildren. And I'll tell you what, when it comes to my kids, I'm going to do whatever you got to do to make them happy. If you give me a choice to have the church service be something that makes me happy or to have the church service that, be, that it be something that makes my grandkids happy, there's no question about it. Take care of the grandkids. I can take care of myself. I can make connections with God. I can do whatever I need to do. But I want you to design this thing in such a way that people are going to be able to be reached that are different, right? And I had to lead the church into this understanding that, you know what, just because something isn't particularly comfortable for me. I mean, I would go to church services, and they would sing for a half hour, and I wouldn't know one song they were singing. I thought to myself, I've been in the church for 50-something years, and you can't sing one song I know out of 50 years of music, right? I've been, a, I've been singing for 50 years. You can't sing one song that I've actually heard before. But I finally just said, forget it. It's not about me. It's not about me singing, me singing hearing songs that, that I've heard before, or that I've enjoyed, or all this kind of stuff. I've been, I'm far enough down the road now, I know what my life is about. I know where I'm going. I know what I have. If I want to listen to some old music, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'll put a tape player in my car and dig out some of my old cassettes. You know what I mean? I just, you know, I can take care of myself. But it's not about me. It's about, uh, it's about 
setting up something that is going to reach people that are different than me. Okay, number three. The barrier, the barrier of thinking that any method of ministry is eternal. Any method of ministry is eternal. Sometimes as pastors, we can mess this up because, you know, we're trying to emphasize a certain thing and we kind of preach it like it's the only way things can happen. Like, for example, at one point in my church early on, we really were committed to the concept of small groups. And I taught the idea of small groups as if this is God's way, this is the only way, this is the way to do ministry, blah, 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 blah. And, and, um, and so we just did it. And we had 85%. And anybody, if you've ever done church work, this is like an astounding statistics. 85% of our congregation participated in small groups. Most churches, they're very fortunate if they could get 50% of their congregation to participate in small groups. 85%. It was like absolutely a part, uh, I mean, absolutely ingrained in who we were. But what I noticed was after six or seven years of us really having a strong emphasis on that, was that the church started to kind of splinter and different groups, you know, there was like an I, I am of Apollos, I am of Paul kind of thing happening. All these different things that were going on. And it was right about that time that a revival came, about 1994, this tremendous revival came. Bam! It was like a tremendous move of the Spirit. Forget about small groups. Nobody wanted to be in small groups. We were meeting two times a day, uh, five-hour services each time. So we were in church ten hours a day. This went on for, for a long time. Five hours, uh, uh, two services, the power of God was falling, people were wiped out. I mean, it was just, it was like awesome, it was tremendous. Small groups totally out the window. And for several years, we had very little small group activity, you know, that was happening. And then I started realizing, you know, hey, we're losing something. And so we started emphasizing another way of doing church where we used almost like mini, almost like a mini Bible school experience. And then that went on for six, seven years, and then we went to another way. And what I came to realize was this, and I put it in your notes. It says, it says here, it says this. I look at it now in a different way. I see methods of ministry like a healthy diet. Every diet has strength for a season, but eventually needs to be varied to produce health, right? So you may do one thing for a period of time, and it's awesome and things like that, but if you just keep doing that same thing for too long of a period of time, you actually can become depleted by the very thing that was a, a sign of health and strength before. Does that make sense to you? Okay, um, number four. The barrier of thinking of unchangeableness as a virtue and change as evil. Now, as Bible people, it's easy how, to see how we might come to that conclusion because what's, who is unchanging? God is unchanging, right? God never changes. So you would think your, your natural mind might lead you to this conclusion. If God never changes, what he's looking for is for us ultimately to become like him and that we never change either. Right? That's the kind of thinking that we, that we can actually have. But the problem is this. The fact that God does not change, the fact that there is one person, one thing in the universe does not change, it's always the same, it demands by the fact that it will not change, it demands that everything else in the universe change. 
How many of you in your relationship with God have found that God demands that you change? Right? Have you found that to be the case? He's, you know, uh, I heard, I heard uh, a story told one time about a British battleship that was going at night in unfamiliar water, and it was going along very proud in the 1800s, and, and, uh, and it looked off in the distance, and there was a light bearing down on them. So the captain said, signal to that ship and tell them they are coming if, you know, on a British warship, and they had better turn 20 degrees to the left or right, or they were going to be in trouble because we're not moving. And, then the, uh, the, and so the guy sends the signal, and he says, they're still coming. It's still coming right at us. And then a few moments later, a signal came from the other ship. And it said, British warship, you need to change because we're a lighthouse. <laughs> you see? You got one thing that's unchangeable that demands everything else has got to change. You see? God is unchangeable, and he demands that everyone else change. The, the, and, and so change is not, unchangeableness is not a virtue, and change is not evil. Change is a part of what it means to follow God. Okay, number five. The barrier of having no history of change. What is this? You guys don't have to worry about this because you're going through all kinds of changes right now. I, did I hear you mention two services? Were, had you done two services before? In the, this is new, right? This is all new. <laughs> okay, I'm just everybody's loving that. So, so um, okay, so so you have all these. You, you have change that's that's come into this environment, right? You have change that that is um, that is happening, and um, you're in a place where there's a lot of change that takes place. But you know, a lot of times churches, because of this resistance to change, they can go a long time without any change happening. You really, you're in a good place with good leadership that, are, that forces you to have to face change on a regular basis because what happens is people solidify. I had one friend of mine, he was a pastor, went into a church that the church was 150 years old. Serious, serious length of time here. And uh, he goes into this church. Now, the church had recently gone through some spiritual changes, significant spiritual changes, such that they, for example, the historic history of the church was that it, it believed in infant baptism, but now they actually believed in believer's baptism, the adult baptism, like we heard about earlier today. And uh, so the, um, the, uh, the pastor looks, and one of the pieces of furniture in the front of the building is an infant baptismal. It's like sitting there. For, for 150 years, it's been sitting there. And so he comes to the board, he's a new pastor, you know. He comes to the board and he says, would it be okay if we moved the infant, since we don't even believe in it anymore, do you think it would be okay if we moved the infant baptism? And the people were like, that piece of furniture has sat there for 150 years. We're not moving that piece of furniture. Are you with me? See, and so what can happen if you don't have change going on in your life, if, you don't, if you're not being stirred toward change and challenged toward change and moved, is you can kind of solidify like those people did. And, uh, and you need to understand, to reduce the trauma and resistance to change, it must become a way of life. 
Howard Hendricks said this. He said, when your memories are more exciting than your dreams, you have begun to die. When your memories are more exciting than your dreams, you have begun to die. Okay, I'm just going to quickly just run through something here. And many of you are going to be future leaders in the church. And this is just a little, um, what I have down here are five simple principles that have never failed me in guiding my church to change. So I'm going to just run through these with you real quickly. And then um, we're going to take a moment to pray. And I'm, I just believe God's going to do something uh, powerful with us. So, so here's the first one. Uh, five simple principles that have never failed me to guide. First, A, build momentum for change. Uh, you know, I discovered this with my children when they were little. My children needed six or seven successes for every failure that they had. If I, for example, if I was trying to teach them how to play catch, I would line them up, I'd get them all set, they would have the little glove in front of them like this. I would say, okay, stand right there, stand right there, stand right there. And then I would step back a couple feet and I would put the, shoot the ball right into their glove. You know what I mean? It was like a, it was like a, and the ball would go boom into their glove. And I'd go, yes, what a, you caught the ball. What a fantastic job you did. That's awesome, that's awesome. And they would be like, hey, you know, so happy. And then I would do it again. I'd line it all up, you know, and right into the, yes, oh, that's fantastic, right? Because I wanted them to have a sense of success, right? Because how many of you know, after a little while, maybe it's not always that successful an experience, right? We wanted, I wanted to have them a, a sense of success about catching the ball. And uh, in the same way, there's like, um, with change, you need to build momentum and change. Uh, I'm, matter of fact, I'm going to a church tomorrow uh, where the pastor's asked me to come in. He says, I want you to just drive right in from the road with me and anything, I want you to point out things, things that I talked to him and I said, I call them low-hanging fruit. They are little things that if you change them will make a big dramatic difference. They don't cost any money to change. You know, uh, for example, in this church, I, I, you know, I said to him, I said, you, know, I said you, you, you guys don't see what's going on anymore. You're blind to what's happening. Well, what do you mean? I said, well, for example, I said, in your parking lot, over on the edge of the parking lot, there is a TV sitting there. You know, so they, you know, probably they had good intentions at the beginning. They brought this big old TV out, threw it down on, you know, the big old Tubi type TV. They brought it out, stuck it down on the at the edge of the driveway, and probably somebody was going to come and get rid of it, or something was supposed to happen. But I had been going there on and off uh, for six months, and the TV had sat there all six months, right? And so I said, I said, I said, I said, uh, I said, like that TV, I said. I said, you know something? I said, that does not communicate like, a, you know, this is the church of vision. This is the church that's going someplace. This is the church that cares about what happens here. This is the church that's good for children. I said, that TV doesn't communicate any of those things. Right? You see what I'm saying? And, and so I said, you make a few changes like this. Take care of TV out, do things like that. And it will create an environment of change in your whole church, it'll be an atmosphere, a momentum for change that'll just be beautiful. Okay, second one. Answer the key question everyone will ask about change. This is the, when you're gonna be involved in change, all that you're going through right now, everything that's happening here, the key question everybody will ask is not the question you think. You think that what people will ask is when a change happens, is this gonna help the kingdom of God? 
Is the Lord pleased? That's the th questions you think that people are going to ask. Every person asks one question when a change happens. And the question is, how does this affect me? Right? You change the service time, and all at once there's a question. And the question is not, are we going to be able to reach more people? The question is, will I get home in time for the game? The question is, my kids have to take a nap at such and such a time. The question is, uh, we eat lunch at blah, 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 blah time. Are you with me? It's all, you would think the question would be of these, but it's not. The questions are always, and you have to understand this when you're in an environment of change, is you've got to understand that people, you know, they, they're asking the question, how does this affect me? I remember years ago, one of my first experiences as a pastor, I was in a church up in Oswego, New York. I was working as an assistant helping another pastor. And uh, the, the pastor had made some changes. They were going to have a church supper on this particular day. And this was in the day when the pastors used to sit up in the front. Remember those days the pastors would sit up in the front? And so I'm sitting up on the front, and the pastor's there. And, and uh, all at once, a lady comes up the side of the thing and comes up and gets, gets next to me. And she says, uh, Claire has locked herself in the kitchen. I said, what? Claire was the woman who for years that the church had existed before some of these changed, she used to take care of the kitchen. She was in charge of the kitchen. Now the pastor was having this church supper. He brought in a whole bunch of people to come in and do different things like that. And she couldn't handle it. So she locked herself in the kitchen and won't let any of the church supper people, you know, come in to set up the, set up the church supper. You know? So pastor's getting ready to preach, and I get off the platform, and I go downstairs, and I come up to the door, and I, Claire, Claire, yes. I said, Claire, you got to open the door, honey. Everybody's here. They need to get into the kitchen. They don't, they're not paying attention to where to put things away and how to do this and how to do that. Ah, yeah, I said, I know it's hard. It's really hard, but, you know, we need to, we need, we're having a church supper today, and if you lock up the kitchen, it's going to be a major problem, right? You know? Now, we'd like to think that just people like Claire would do things like that. But what I've discovered is that that kind of thing can happen in a hundred different ways in a church where people have kind of guarded their little turf. And when change comes, they're just not ready to adjust. They're just not ready to make things happen. Okay, C. Build consensus from the top down. And I've just found this over and over again to be a great uh, tool to help me with um, helping the church to change. Is that, you know, I would start out with the elders of the church we would all get on the same page. Then I'd get all the small group leaders, and we would all on the same page. Then I'd get all the ministry leaders of the church. And, of course, as I went through each of these groups, I was learning more and more what were the questions and concerns that people had, what was happening. And, and each one of those groups, I'd eventually win them all. And then, and then when it came time to announce it to the church, we're going to be making this adjustment, people were, yeah, okay, yeah, we can do it, we can do it. You know, so building from the top down is a great, uh, is a great tool. D. Communication plus time equals united change. 
If you can give people some time to process change, it really, really helps them to do that. And so I came up with this little formula, communication plus time equals united change. When I was getting ready to go to two services in my church, you know, I got up, my hope was to go maybe the following September. I got up that January and I said, you know, I could see us somewhere in my message. I'm just preaching away. And I, you know, I could see us someday having two services here at this church. When that service was over, I had people lined up, you know, coming up to me. Oh, I don't want two services. I, you know, I won't even know where my friends anymore. If one goes to one, one goes to the other. You know, that's going to be such a problem. It's going to be this and that, and we won't really be united. It'll be like two different churches. You know, you know, just kind of. And so I would go. I would go. This is January. I would go. I would go. I would go. Listen. I don't, I said, all I was saying to you was this might happen someday. I said, I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know what's going to go. Okay. And then a month or two later, I might mention it again sometime in the course of a sermon. But watch out when your pastor mentions stuff in the course, the course of a sermon. And bam, you know, again, people were lined up. Are you, are you really serious about this two service thing? And I, you know, it's going to you know, hurt us. And da, 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 da. By the time we got around to September, a weird thing took place. All these people who had been lining up to tell me it couldn't be done started lining up and coming to me and saying, well, when are we going to two services? What's the holdup? You know, we've been talking about this for months. You know, what's, the, you know, what's happening in this you know, kind of a thing? And so I said, well, you think we should go to two services? Yeah, absolutely, we should go to two services. Right? You know, why? Because they had had time to answer the question, how is this going to affect me, right? They had worked their way through it all. They had gotten through it. And so finally now when the change came, they were like ready to, to make the jump. And then last of all, E, resign yourself to the fact that every change will be resisted by someone. Um, this, is, this is not a negative thing, uh, you know, you, but you just have to, you have to resign yourself to the fact. This, this is not because they're evil. It's not because of any of that. Sometimes they're in process. God's trying to change their wineskin. Sometimes they're not going where you're going, and they're wrestling with trying to find out what are they supposed to do now. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're going through all kinds of different things. But as a leader, you have got to understand that any change that you introduce, somebody is not going to be happy with it. You're not going to have a happy change. You know, everything. So every time you're in that environment where move new buildings and this thing and that thing and you know I remember the old days seems like it worked better blah 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 you know it, it th that thing is there and people are working through it and then they get on board or sometimes they work through it in such a way that they realize you know this this isn't where I'm supposed to be or you know whatever needs to happen but it'll happen but change always stirs up that thing in people well, I want to take a moment to, to pray for you right now. And what I want to pray for is this, that, that I, I suspect that with all the things that have been happening, both in your life personally and in the church, that some of you are processing change. You want to embrace the new wine but the fact is the pain of change is very real for you.
This could be the pain of change that's happening in your own personal life. You're making this change, that change, buying the house, having kids, doing the, you know, the pain of change, which is the price tag for the fresh move of the spirit. It's, and it's something you have to surrender yourself to. It's something you have to say, okay, I embrace it. I receive it. I want to be that new wineskin. So I say, yes, do what you have to do inside of me, Lord, so that I can enter into the changes that you have for us at this time. And I just want to invite you right now, if you are dealing with the pain of change in your life, I'd like to just pray for you. And I'm just going to invite you to come out of your seat, come right up to the front, all across the front right here right now. And I'm just going to pray for you just for a few moments as you just give yourself freshly surrender and say to the Lord, Lord, do what you have to do to make me the wineskin that can receive the fresh thing that you're wanting to do. Would you like that prayer now? Come on, right up here. Come, come right up right now. Yeah. The pain of change is the price tag. It's the price tag for the new wineskin. It's the price tag for the new wine is the pain of change. The fresh wineskin is the price tag. It's the, it's the supply. Thank you, Lord. It's the thing that has to be paid if you're going to be a part of the fresh thing that God is wanting to do. This is beautiful. This is good. It's totally healthy, you know, as you're coming forward because we're just, um, uh, we're just in need right now. We're just in need. Thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you, Spirit of God. Just focus in on the Lord right now. Jesus is here. He wants you to touch the hem of his garment, but you're going to need to press through a couple of distractions, press through some different things to just say, I want to receive from the Lord that fresh wineskin that's able to participate and be a part of change. It's going to require new methods it's going to require new approaches. It's going to require things being done differently than I've been used to. And Lord, I just want to surrender before you right now. Lord, I just ask you right now, all through this group right now, so many different kinds of change, not just in church, but in life. I just ask you by the power of your spirit, Lord. By the power of your spirit, so many different aspects of life. It affects marriages, it affects relationships, it affects child rearing, it affects so many different things. There are, it's just, but there's a renewal that needs to take place and the renewal is painful, Lord. But we give you permission. We don't resist it. We don't run from it. We give you permission, Lord God. We give you permission right now by the power of your spirit to change us and make us the people that you want us to be. Lord, change the wineskin, change the methods, change the approaches, change what needs to happen so that we can embrace the fresh wine right now, the fresh wine of your spirit. We thank you for it, Lord Jesus. Precious spirit of God, we want to be wholehearted we don't want to be choked out by the question, how does it affect me all the time? We want to be able to move beyond that. Yes, that question needs to get answered for sure, but we want to be able to move beyond that to how is it going to help us to be more effective 
in the thing that you've called us to do in our kingdom ministry, in our kingdom place, in our kingdom life, Lord. We give you permission, Lord. We give you permission. Lord, I think of the, the ins and the outs, and the ins have to change if the outs are going to be able to come in. The ins have to adjust to make room for the outs. And I just pray that right now, Lord, for each one of these of these folks, that there would be something in them that would say, I'm willing to pay the price. I'm willing to pay the price that people who are different from me can find their way to the water that I've drunk from, the well that I'm drinking from. And I'm willing to make whatever adjustments need to be made. If there needs to be a different kind of music, if there needs to be a different approach, if there needs to be a different hours, if there needs to be uh, things adjusted in some kind of way, I say to the Lord, do what you need to do, Lord, that the outs can be reached in this region and this area, Lord. Use me. Change me. Make me the person you want me to be. Lord, every, uh, every intergenerational move of your spirit here, I just believe, Lord, that there's going to be a greater dimension of an intergenerational connection in this place, young and old, walking together in great power, Lord, and with a great sense of respect for one another and care for one another and, and willingness to sacrifice for one another to see each other uh, touched and moved upon, Lord. We thank you for it, Lord. We bless you for it. We thank you for every life in this place, Lord. Those that you're putting your hand on for leadership, Lord. More than ever, Lord, those in leadership roles and leadership positions need to understand the nature of change and that it's not an evil, that it's something that we've got to receive and we've got to open up to. And, we just do that, Lord, right now, Lord. We just ask, let your spirit so move. Just touch the hem of Jesus' garment right now. Just reach through the crowd. Reach through and just touch the hem of his garment. He wants to fill you and pour grace upon you, give you the capacity to, to embrace others, uh, even when it's uncomfortable for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Change, Lord. Change, change, Lord Jesus. We receive of your life, Lord. We receive of your spirit. People who are different from us, that approach things differently from us, we receive, Lord. Change, Lord Jesus. Change, change. New approaches, non-familiar methods, Lord. We just open our hearts for change. Work in us, Lord. It's not easy, God. It's not comfortable. But we embrace the pain of change so that we can make room for those older than us, that we can make room for those younger than us, that we can make room for those different from us. We thank you for it, Lord. Precious Spirit of God, do something so profound and so powerful in this hour of change that we're going to look back and say, whoa, everything changed from that season on. Everything changed. We thank you for it, Lord. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Michael. Pastor Michael began by talking about the new wine being the Holy Spirit. When he comes in our life, so many things change. 
you have to realize also that he not only changes everything, but he's our helper he hel who helps us navigate change. Someone said the only constant in life is change. God wants to grow us. He wants to keep us fresh and dependent upon him. Before we pray for anything else, why don't you just from your heart say, Lord, thank you for putting me through changes. Thank you that you're keeping me out of, out of a sure death. Lord, I say yes to the changes. I don't always like it, and I don't always appreciate it, but I want to be alive. I want to grow. Don't leave me in the shallow end of the pool. I want to go deeper. Do whatever it takes, because I want to grow. Pray something like that to the Lord right from your own heart now. As Pastor Michael said, for many of you, it's not just church. It's your whole life has changed. Lots of change happening. Now, if you're here today, and you've never had a moment where someone has laid hands on you, and you've asked the Holy Spirit to come in your heart the way you asked Jesus come in your heart, and when he come in and, and he then starts bubbling up and wants to come out of your mouth, usually with speaking in tongues and prophecy and a fresh surge of power. If that's not happened to you t before, we'd like that to happen for you today. And if that's you, there's a square over here, a space over here. If you stand over there, then we know that you're willing to be prayed for and some of our team will come and lay hands on you and, and work with you and pray with you and believe with you that that can happen. It can happen today, and believe me, it'll change your life. It'll change your life, and we want that. But he'll also be your helper who will enable you to navigate all this, all the stuff that happens like nobody else. Nobody else can help you like him. If that's you this morning, I'd like you to come and stand over there, and we'll pray for you. For those who also are new, we have a discipleship program. We'd like you to give that. Uh, some thought, talk to someone about it, ask them what it is. We'd like to see you get some training to help you understand all these changes that are happening. So well, let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us. Do you feel he spoke to you today? Say thank you, Lord. Thank you for speaking to me. I needed this perspective. I needed this assurance. Thank you for it. Thank you for the wisdom that you shared with me today. Thank you for drawing me closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.